So I'm curious because you mentioned that you are one of Banyur Islam, and I think when you are at the beach student and you're still working, as you mentioned, extension what you have been doing since then, 30 years now. I'm curious about the start, about being, what's the first robot you build, if you remember, what kind of thoughts? And we know it's when you have something completely new, it's risky sometimes, when you have new idea and you have never had any literature in this in this case. So how, how was the start for you to start building a first robot? What kind of question had in your mind when you were a student? That's maybe the first uh, step we can go further for that. Right. Well, I'm really fortunate. You know, there's this uh, saying, if I've seen further, it is because I stood on the shoulders of giants. And there were giants like Rodney Brooks and Hans Marovic and Raja Shatila. Um, you know, actually, for me, when I was in college at the University of Pennsylvania in 1985 and 86, I got to work at a General Motors factory in Wilmington, Delaware, where uh, they were rebuilding the factory to enable robots to move the car bodies being built around. And I worked in the paint department where we were installing robots to spray paint the new cars. But I also um, saw that they had to completely knock down the entire plant and put in a special floor with wires buried in the floor for what they called them AGVs, autonomous guided vehicles, automated guided vehicles to follow the wires in the floor. And and this this was in 1985. They're spending all this money and all these workers can't work because they have to knock down and rebuild the factory. And I said to myself, why can't the robot just navigate like people navigate using the naturally occurring structure in the factory? And so that problem actually motivated me when I was still an undergraduate before I got to go to grad school. But I kind of wanted to work on that problem. And it was uh, really uh, fortuitous. I got a fellowship, the Tron Fellowship, to go to the U.K., uh, and it was um, my advisor, Hugh, had been a Tehran fellow at UPenn uh, for his PhD, but I didn't know him. Um, he worked with Eugenia Baichi and some very famous roboticists. And so it was really like this um, uh, 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 almost divine alignment of the stars that I got to go uh, work with someone who had kind of the same vision. He, Hugh was obsessed with uh, kind of uncertain geometry and robotics and sensor fusion. How do you combine data from multiple vantage points to get better information about objects in the world? And so navigation was ready to attack with that methodology. I really like what, when you said like divine alignment that you are curious about this problem in your industry. I'm, I'm curious about now, how do you see this kind of approaching ideas like maybe unorthodox ideas or something just completely new? Because there is a risk, there's a tendency that we are afraid to go for risky ideas sometimes. Yeah, how do you see this kind of yeah, research direction when you have new ideas as a student, as in your case. Do you think there's a well, risk? I, yeah. Well, I feel flattered that you're saying new because, you know, as I wrote, as I tried to write my thesis, and even though as I did some early experiments in localization using maps, you know, I'd, I'd read all the papers. And you have to remember, this was in the day before Google Scholar, you know, before, you know, ICRA proceedings on the Internet. And I remember... Um, walking a 10-minute walk, often in the rain in England, down to the library with my stack of five pence and 10 pence coins to go through the conference proceedings and pick out Rodney Brooks's paper and make the copies at the photocopy machine, putting the coins in one by one and getting that kind of like that single paper, like, you know, his visual map making for a mobile robot. And, and then you walk back with that precious eight-page paper back to the lab and you really study every word. And and so the nuggets of everything that we did uh, really were in the prior papers. I think Smith, Self, and Cheeseman, and Brooks, and 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 Shatila. Um, and actually, in writing my thesis, I it's almost a bit disappointing when I was thinking, like I thought this was a new idea, 
but you always have to give credit in the literature where it came from. And so, and, and it's actually, um, the, the, uh, um, so, uh, the, the, we're part of this wonderful, great community. Perhaps one of the biggest changes now is that back then it was a very small community. So there'd be three or four papers per year maximum about SLAM in ICRA, you know, and how many papers are about SLAM each, each year now in ICRA? It's, it's just such a much bigger community. Um, but, but anyway, I'm very fortunate. Yeah. I, 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 I'm glad you mentioned the point of the number of publication and maybe a quick question here. How do you see this yeah. in 30 years? Maybe first of all, the change in Islam or maybe when it's called now Islam throw, how do you see the changes in publication and ideas and just, yeah, the community is growing, but what does your thought about the publication in general, this amount of publication in this field? What well, is the difference? Think, uh, yeah. Well, there's certainly, uh, you know, a difference in terms of, uh, with modern tools, uh, progress can be more, much more rapid. And it's remarkable that, um, like I, I do spend a lot of time now on faculty search, trying to hire a new faculty for MIT. And we get over 300 applications for one position. And we're looking through across all areas of say mechanical engineering. And there'll be a roboticist where as a grad student, they might have 18 papers already. And it's like, how did you write 18 papers as a graduate student? It, it almost seems unthinkable back from when I was a student. But I think that, um, you know, uh, I feel the quality of the work is actually very high, you know, in terms of uh, the uh, re requirement for something novel on the algorithm side and some and some evaluation. Evaluation is a big piece. And obviously using standard data sets like Kitty and so forth. I, I guess my one regret may be too strong a word, but I, I wish we had more papers that are using real robots to do something useful in the world. And maybe I'm guilty of the same thing myself with myself, my students, my postdocs. But... Um, uh, it would be, it's important to remember that we're roboticists and we want to create robots that benefit society by doing something in the world. And sometimes to get a paper out, you can process a data set or, but, but it's not as much using a real robot to do something. I'm glad you mentioned this point. Why do you think we, we don't do that? What's you think maybe challenging so far? I think robots are expensive and hard to access and, uh, and sometimes the um, experimentation is difficult. And um, in some ways, I don't mean to be critical, but like using the kitty data set, say, to test an idea, it's almost like a path of least resistance to getting a publishable unit out of it. But um, I think we would be, uh, it, it would be nice if we had more robots that people could use and their, and their paper wasn't so much processing someone else's data set. But imagine a conference where the, the products of the conference are, I'm going to turn my robot on for 10 minutes. And, and, and it's what the robot can do in 10 minutes, uh, for example. I, I don't know. 